Howdy do who fans and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 298. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. And not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes. And it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, 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 Who fans. Hope you're all well, keeping safe and healthy. And that you've all managed to do something Doctor Who related. related. <laughs> Welcome to episode 298. It's great to have you all here. And I do mean that. I hope you're keeping safe and healthy in whatever lockdown fun you're having. <laughs> yes. 298, bud. I know. Rock we're, it in towards 300. We're getting there. We're getting yeah. There. Yeah. What will we do? Will there be... A, a, a big party, or will it be very low key? And yeah, three hundred. Yeah, so what? Three hundred. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, who fans? Yep. Or will it be? I suppose we better the, do three hundred. Yep. The end. Just have the watcher waiting for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The watcher. Yeah. Every now yeah. and then, for the past couple of weeks, I've seen him up on the roof <laughs> of the houses across the way, and I'm like, this doesn't. This it does doesn't not bode well. bode well at all. No. Yeah. We've seen how this goes. <laughs> the moment being prepared for. We know how it goes. That's it. Well, we should do by now. Yes. So yeah, I hope you're all doing well. Welcome back. And uh, dude, it's been a very quiet week again for Doctor Who. We seem to have ebbs and flows, don't we, this year? Well, so far this year. It was certainly like that last year, where we'd go for weeks on end and there'd be no no news and nothing really to talk about. And then all of a sudden there'd be loads of stuff that'd be like, a new announcement from the BBC and then there'd be a really cool bit of merch and then there'd be a video game announcement and, and all that. But we seem to be one of those lows again. Now that we had all the drama, all the drama's out of the way, isn't it? From the rumours about Jodie leaving and all that jazz, it's all died down now. 
all that's yeah. gone. And uh, yeah, there's just not much to not much to talk about. The only uh, one thing I've seen, I saw a trailer on YouTube last night for a new video game. Oh, not a full-on console game, mm-hmm. but it's a mobile game. Oh yeah, from Doctor Who, and uh, it looks kind of cool. It's one of those. It's one of those. Um, it's one of those games where you do it on your phone, and then it's like a mock sort of you get emails from Osgood and then there's other things you have to do and it's a bit of augmented reality and that sort of thing. It, it does look kind of cool. Um, yeah. I'm just laughing because you know how rubbish I am at games. <laughs> I this, don't go near them. This is true, who fans. Adam is oh, not the... Um, terrible. Yeah. So The Lonely Assassins is what the game's called. And uh, yeah, so basically the, the it's one of these things where you have to decipher. It's like a found phone kind of thing where you have to go through all the footage and emails and everything and and track it all down it's uh uh it's basically centered around the events after blink you know wester drumlins you know that location and all that stuff yeah yeah so it's around that time and i think the dude that starred in it you know the guy the that owns the video shop the brother of uh, yes, I remember. Sally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's in it. I think he's in the game. I think he's filmed a few little scenes and stuff like that. So that's coming in spring, which might be cool to check out. That's going to be Sally on. Sparrow in it. Sally, I don't. She could be, but I haven't seen her in the trailer or anything. But she could be. Yeah, but that might be something to pass the time. That's not out until spring, though. It's a bit ambiguous. Spring. It could be. I don't know. It could be March. It could be April. I don't know. It's around that time. I mean, I'm I'm more inclined to play that if it's on the phone than a sort of games console because I might actually be able to do it if it's like, if it's fairly yeah. easy to. I just don't have any patience with computers at all. I don't <laughs> have like, any patience I, for computers. As soon as I die once or to maybe twice, that's it. I'm done. I'm like, no, I've had enough now. I've just got very little tolerance with <laughs> computer games. I still haven't played um, that that VR one. Uh, you know, you know the one that I started playing, and actually was really enjoying. Ironically, mm. until I felt sick from wearing the headset. Um, the what's it called? Edge of Time or something? The, the oh, new thirteenth or someone. You play that on the PlayStation VR, right? Yeah, that's that it. One. Yeah, so yeah. I, I actually was quite enjoying that, and I was doing all right because that was all about finding clues. And there was this big old alien in a washing machine that was trying to get out, and I was like looking around and everything. You feel like you're in the room, and I was like, "This is really cool." <laughs> and then after ten minutes, I was like, "I feel really sick because you get that motion sickness, don't you?" That's it. I haven't been back since. <laughs> so that think that that creature's still waiting for me in the washing machine. I think. Uh, right. Yeah, the edge of time. Level one. Yeah, yeah the edge good. of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it is really good. I, I wish you could play it without wearing the headset because mm. it's the motion thing. I can't deal with it. It makes me feel ill. Yeah, I read you. I think we're. <laughs> We're well overdue a proper big Doctor Who video game that's made by a decent publisher and studio. Yeah, yeah. Because in terms of video games, if it's done properly, and any gamers out there will know what I'm talking about, anyone that listens that's into like big open world games will know that a Doctor Who big open world game would be amazing, like a massive RPG open world thing. It, the... the the scope for a video game of that size would be great. I mean, it would be crazy uh, big to, um, but th- they have, they have started to develop other things like that. There's a new, um, there was meant to be a new Harry Potter video game out this year, but they pushed it back to next year. 
that would be cool. That they've made that into a big kind of open worldy sort of experience. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it would just be really cool just to play as your version of the Doctor, and you could travel across all sorts of different planets and locations throughout the world of Doctor Who throughout time and everything. I mean, it would be huge and be amazing. But uh, for the last few years, the only thing we've had really is a, a slew of mobile games, which is not a bad thing. You know, they're good little time passes that you can play for 20 minutes, half an hour. And then these VR games, but the VR stuff's not that accessible. Not everyone's got the VR side right. of things. And Xbox consoles don't have VR, so it's limited to PlayStation Pro people with the VR, or if you've got a high-powered PC, you can do it. So, yeah, I think we're well overdue, like a proper mainstream, decent video game for Doctor Who. That would be amazing. Doctor Who really is perfect for that sort of game as well, mm. isn't it? Because you can literally do anything with Doctor literally. Who. You can go anywhere. I mean, it's perfect for like that, you know, like you said, a big budget game. Our good friend Morg sent me some pictures of, um, so they're developing a new interactive, you know, like a, a sort of a live game, isn't it? I don't know what you call it, but interactive. Um, we spoke about it recently. They've started building the sets for it, where you go in and you have to go in different rooms and, Oh, the, like, the escape, like escape room. Yeah, I like suppose that. so. Right. Yeah, I don't really know. He sent me some pictures the other day that it's looking pretty cool. Um, but of course, with you know being in lockdown, that could be ages away. Uh, but again, that's the sort of thing that suits Doctor, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, getting to yeah. be part of it. Yeah, yeah. You got a little bit of that in the um, Doctor experience. Do you remember when you first go in and they play you some stuff on a video screen, and then you you sort of walk through sort of some sets and there's weeping angels sort of jump out at you mm-hmm. and stuff and before you actually got to the exhibition that was pretty cool i mean it's very sort of basic stuff but oh. it was really cool wasn't it do you remember the big old red dalek coming out like yeah you know yeah. animatronically being wheeled out <laughs> and then it wheels back in it's obviously done it like a hundred times a day and oh, didn't mate. yeah oh that oh. was so good yeah and then because oh. they had three different rooms didn't they they had the you went through you had the weeping angels bit and that yeah. was really creepy. And then you had the Daleks bit and then the final bit, I think we were on the TARDIS set and they encouraged oh, all the right. kids yeah, you get to, to walk on the TARDIS set and it shakes. Yeah. Yeah. And they encouraged all the kids to come first and feel like they're flying the TARDIS. They had all the yeah. controls and oh dude. And then do you remember the end bit? It's another screen bit on the screen where it's sort of almost 3d. Cause I remember a big Dalek plunger comes out the screen yeah. at you or something. Yeah. Why? Is that my mind playing tricks? That no, no, is no. right. That, that, that is did right, happen, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they changed it slightly, didn't they? Because first of all, when it first opened, I think it was, they played this film, which was really good, but it was the Matt Smith version. And then when Capaldi became the Doctor, they redid it. Mm. And they had the, um, it was Capaldi basically taking you through the story, those that interactive bit at the beginning, and then the sets and stuff. But yeah. both of them are really good, really good. I miss that place so much, buddy. Am I right? Oh. Was it? Did Lala Ward do the, you know, the first video bit that when you go in? Was that Lala Ward doing the voiceover, or was it somebody? I can't remember because I remember there's a really nice little monologue before, we, like the very first bit where you're in a dark room, and somebody does this sort of voiceover bit. I think it was Lala Ward. Yeah, but you could be, be right. I, yeah, it was. Yeah, it sort of shows be. all Gallifrey yeah. and stuff. I can't remember now, but that was amazing. But I mean, once I mean that's just the start of it, and then you'd get through that. And then you'd be into the actual exhibition and with all the costumes, there'd be like a Yeti in front of you and Davros is on your right. And you've got like, I don't know, a Vok robot to your left and Mr. Sweets in the little cabinet in the corner. And the side, oh no, it's just too much. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've got some dude. good memories of that place. It was, um, we had it so good, didn't we? Yeah, I think I went there three times in the end, I think. 
think I did it three times. And mm. yeah, it was just really just the whole vibe of being in Cardiff as well at that time yeah. was so good because I remember the first time I went there, we were down at the bay and we was walking around, having a look around. I got some really cool other things to look at as well as Doctor Who down there. It's a nice restaurant and whatnot. And we're walking around and it was just really cool because you'd see just a ton of people in Doctor Who t-shirts, even some yeah. cosplayers. And it was just normal. Like everybody that worked in that area of Cardiff around at the bay, it was just completely normal to them. Seeing people in cosplay about Doctor Who or various hoodies and t-shirts, you could, you could spot them a mile off the Doctor Who fan. Oh yeah. But it was completely to, normal. Yeah. Did, did you go to Eddie's Diner? Uh, on the second, not as part of that, but one on time second, we're in Cardiff. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause that's sadly gone now. That's gone I loved now. it when yeah. I went there. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I, mean, I only went, so I went to the, the London when it was in London, I went to the exhibition, which was slightly different. I think that might've been the Matt Smith era. Mm-hmm. And then they moved it to Cardiff and I only got to go once. And like you said, I was just in heaven because you, you know, you're walking through Cardiff and you see the millennium center and then there's the big, water fountain thing which is the torchwood entrance and it's like oh wow i'm i'm here i'm this is a real place it's amazing and uh yeah just you just feel like you've stepped into an episode of doctor who amazing yeah. and then obviously you have the big experience just around the corner um it's a really cool unusual building as well and it's like a big they're like a big was it blue up it must be blue yeah blue, blue and gray yeah yeah sort of oddly shaped building yeah, it was it was great. It was um Oh, and there was a TARDIS in the water as well, I seem to remember. It's just sort of randomly on a yep, yep. pole in the middle of the water. There's a, a full-size TARDIS, wasn't they? Yeah. Um, as you were walking up uh, to it, yeah, there was a little path that led down to the actual the bay and there were, yeah, it was a full-scale yeah. proper TARDIS there. But the building was amazing. It was this big scaffolded thing and then they had draped this really sort of uh sort of hardwearing canvas, I suppose. It's grey and blue color over it. So because of that, it had this really nice curved, sort of nice flowing shape to it. And it Did was you a, get, yeah. sorry, it was a lot bigger as well. <laughs> I know that's a, that is definitely a pun intended, but when you went inside, there was a lot more stuff in there than what it looked like from the outside. Yeah. Uh, it was a bit, a bit like a real life TARDIS, in other words. Uh, did you get to um, go to the, you know, they did like, you could go on a set tour, so you could go to Capaldi's TARDIS. They only did it at certain times of the year, didn't they? Did you get yeah. to do that? No, I didn't, unfortunately. Oh, I'd, I'd love to have done it, but I didn't I didn't catch that, no. Uh, I was I was lucky, because I obviously only went to Cardiff once. I've only ever been once in my life, and I tell you, I blimmin' loved it. I, I, I must go back one day. Um, I just had such a great weekend down there. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I was lucky, because they were only doing that. So I suppose because they were probably using it for filming. That'd be why, wouldn't they? they so when they weren't filming, they would um, allow people to do, like, a set visit. And, uh, yeah, I got to go on, on the TARDIS console, uh, which is pretty amazing because they, they let you walk all the way. So you go in through the doors, walk around the console, then you go down to the sort of bottom bit of the console and walk out the door at the bottom. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. gosh, man, the the, the memories. Um, oh, no, but Yeah, and they put some pictures on the website Wales Online. They normally covered a lot of stuff that was happening around the experience when it was closing down. And their final article they put up about it was just called uh, The Doctor Experience in Cardiff being dismantled or taken down or something and you saw like all the plastic sheeting being taken off and all the literally they just dismantled the entire thing and now it's just a car park i think oh no it's just a flat bit of land or something yeah it's it's heartbreaking man it really is but 
Where, where is the where? I wonder where all the stuff is. Like, where's the TARDIS console gone? And the moss got it. The moss got it in the carriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's driving around in Bessie in his ten-acre garden. <laughs> he would have turned up, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? With his with his mates with a couple of hire vans. They're not going to turn away. Like you know me. You know who I am. <laughs> I've been I've been tasked with taking this all to the BBC warehouse. Just leave it with me. It's all fine. Leave it with me. Yeah, <laughs> he's probably got it in a, in a private storage somewhere. It's like, come on, Moff, we need this back. Not on my watch. On my <laughs> yeah, watch. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times, man. Good times. Very good old. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope we do see some of that again. I mean. Yeah, if we talk about that, I mean, it makes me think of the festival and all that sort of stuff. Oh, mate, great times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully we've got some of that to come in the future. That, again, that'd be good. Yeah, once we get back to some sort of normal, we'll be, yeah. we'll, we'll be back on the on the convention circuit and mm. doing all that stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the only, only other thing I've done, dude, just to wrap up uh, with Doctor Who stuff, is I've watched a certain person's YouTube video. Oh, really, no, re- stop it. Really digging the old, um, <laughs> <laughs> the autograph collection. And I noticed this was only part one, which is inc- bloody incredible because that video is about 20 minutes long. I know. And he's got, a, Adam's got about a million autographs in this video over 20 minutes and it's only part one. <laughs> I thought, I thought it would be a really simple video to do. I thought, I, cause um, people were saying, Oh, I've been trying to think of something I could do for a video. People were like, Oh, I'd love to see your autographs. I thought, yeah, that's nice and easy. Just showing you my autographs. Yeah. Great. Great idea. And I thought, yeah, I've got a couple of folders. I'll just whip through those. And I did, I did sort of one folder and started editing it and realized it was already 20 minutes long. I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to, this is going to be like two hours long. So I thought I'd just do it a folder at a time. But, um, <laughs> even I, even I hadn't realized quite how many I'd got. Cause I suppose I've been collecting for like, you know, 20, 30 years, dude. It's, it's amazing. I, even I am surprised. Like, cause I started putting them into order as well. I thought, well, they're all, they're all over the place. Autographs. I've got a collector together. I want to make sure I get them all in the vid. And um, once I started going through them, I, I said to my other half, I'm just I'm just going to be upstairs for half an hour. I need to sort these autographs out. And I was up here for like nearly two hours just on, you know, putting them out on the bed. Oh, that's a Doctor Who one. That's a Blake Seven. Oh, it's a Star Wars one there. Oh, Kenny. Yeah. And, you know, it's, oh, mate, it's been really fun looking through them again, though. It's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really amazing to some of the people I've met over the years. Yeah. And so, yeah, was, yeah, I've enjoyed doing that. But um, I've struggled to film part two because our, our neighbours are building an office. And uh, there's quite a lot of building noise at the minute. So, like yesterday, every time I started to film, I thought, oh, it seems, it's, yeah, no, it's just quite quiet at the minute. I think I'm good to go. And I'll start doing it, and then it'd be like, oh, blimmin' heck. <laughs> so, I've, it's, it's, I don't know when part two will be. It'll probably, I'll probably stagger them through the year. So, you'll probably get part two in a couple of months. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's very cool, man. And there was yeah. some really, there was one autograph that was amazing. It was obviously great that you got the autograph, but. I think it was Philip Maddock, Phil Maddock. And oh, Philip Maddock, yeah. The artwork that you got him to autograph is amazing. Dude. I don't know where you got that from, but it was just on his table. It was a, somebody he had a, a couple of prints on his table. Ah, right, right. It's what really I loved cool. about him, yeah. yeah, it's a nice one. I mean, it, but what I loved about Philip was he had the little Morbius creature. He had a figure of it in his top pocket, and so that's what I always remember from meeting him. And he was a lovely man as well. Um, but yeah, I, I've tried to, and also I've uh, watching the videos back cause I, there's so much I could say about every single autograph, but I want it, you know, like you said, it's 20 minute long as it is. And I'm, I'm only saying like a sentence or two on each autograph, but I was watching it back thinking, Oh, I forgot to say about, they said this and I forgot to say that, but, um, it would be three hours long if I 
chatted on each one. And also, I don't <laughs> like jump cuts. I'm I'm not a fan of YouTube videos where they don't even get through a sentence about having the jump cuts. So they say, hello, welcome to my YouTube channel. And it cuts and it drives me crazy. So I, I'm trying to do it as one thing without any jump cuts. So there might be one or two. Um, so I'm trying to just do it on the fly, really, because that's just the way I like to do it. But it's not easy because then you find yourself <laughs> rushing and you forget to say things. And you're like, oh, no, I forgot to say that he did this or he said that. But anyway, it is what it is. But yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to get back behind the camera, do some vids. No, it's good. It's very good. And um, I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, it's fascinating seeing just years worth of of autographs that you've got stashed away. And um, yeah, talking of the Doctor Who experience, that was the next video that came up. The old oh, YouTube really? algorithm that suggested the next video I watch was your rundown of the festival. <laughs> oh, the festival one. The oh, yeah. Festival, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought you meant the experience one. Yeah, I know it's weird when I, you know, when I check into my uh, sign into YouTube, it comes up all the vids and gosh, some stuff on there I've forgotten about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't really done much else this, this week, mate. I, the only thing I did was uh, I got Doctor Who magazine uh, arrived yesterday. It's a, good, it's a good issue this month. Um, it's all um, focusing on the Target novel books, oh, uh, which, yeah. which we yeah. both love. It's a, it's a good issue this month and it comes with, um, comes with like this free Target novel, although actually what it is, it's... Uh, it's just excerpts from other Target novels. So it's not like a new story or anything. It's, a, right. it's like a sampler, I guess, is the best way. But it's still cool. And you get um, the best thing about it is you get a free – well, actually, no, it's not free because the magazine is more expensive this month. But you get a giant poster, which is two-sided, and it's all the Target book covers. Right. So on one side, it's all like the original covers. and you turn it around, and you've got all the reissued covers. And um, it's probably worth buying for that alone. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous poster. Oh, cool. uh, it's the yeah. sort of thing if i was around sort of between the ages of like eight or 15 i would have had that on my wall in a <laughs> shot and i would have been oh which side do i put up oh i probably need to buy two because i want to put both sides up um but yeah unfortunately being a grown adult you look at the other half and say oh this would look good on the wall when you get a shake of the head and you fold it away and put it back in its wrapper but it's a cool poster <laughs> That's exactly. that wouldn't let you put that up would you? Well, in my own you, office, oh, so you, yes, I'd be you could right. put it up yeah. in your office, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, she wouldn't allow me to put it. Well, say allow. <laughs> she wouldn't be very keen if I said, um, "I'm just going to put this in the up. yeah." I'm just going to put this in the hallway, or I'm going to put this in the bathroom. She'd be like, <laughs> um, "If you couldn't, that would be really helpful and good." But yeah, yeah, I haven't got anywhere to put it, but it's a lovely poster. Yeah. But that's good been times, it for me. Good times, yeah. yeah. Okay. So before we move on to our review then, talking of Adam's channel, remember to go and subscribe over at the Geeks Handbag at YouTube. Just do a search it for it, or there's a link on the website. Adam's got, as well as this video, just a ton of very, very cool, very cool geek videos over there. So go and check that out. And Adam's on the socials too, under the same name, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, the Geeks Handbag. Go and seek him out. Give him a <laughs> like and a follow. And remember to subscribe to our podcast. If you are just listening to this fresh, this is your dipping your toe in the water. It's great to have you here. Also great to have our longtime listeners and, and those guys back as well. But if this is your first time, we'd love to have you as a subscriber. So whatever whatever app you listen to your podcast on, we'd love to have you as a sub. That way you won't miss a show when it lands every single Friday. And we have a website which is packed full of stuff, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. 
go and uh, I should say it's not the Big Blue Podcast. It's just www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can link off to all the various podcast apps from there. You can also listen to all of our previous shows. Every episode is on there. Plus, we have a ton of really good reviews and other articles from our writing team. Those guys, they put um, stuff out every week. So that's they're really interesting reads. Go and check that out. We had uh, Jordan. He put out his... He does these series pitches where if he was employed as showrunner he lays out in very great detail all of the storylines and characters if he was in charge and the most recent one that he did the other day was for torchwood series one resurrection and there's loads of really cool stuff in there so give that a read and then maria did a rundown of some recent stuff that's happened in who Uh, she gives her opinion on john bishop as a new companion and some other bits like the new season 24 set and the new the new book that's being reprinted from Andrew Cartmel, the script doctor book, which has got a really cool cover. Yeah. Very striking. Yes. So go and check that out. We've also got, we're on the socials as well, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook links on the website. or go and check that out. And we also have a free discord server as well. There's a link on the website. Come and hang out and chat doctor who with other doctor who fans. It's all good. So that's all that stuff. Let's get on to our review, dude. What have we got this week? Yeah. So it's time to say goodbye to the ponds in the angels take Manhattan. Hello, old friend. And here we are. You and me, on the last page. Statues, the man said. Living statues that moved in the dark. But you don't believe that statues can move. And you're right, Mr. Garner. They can't. (laughs) Of course they can't. (laughs) When you're looking... New York. It's pleased by angels. Every time you try to escape, you get zapped back in time. The city that never sleeps. The angels will come. Uh, I think they're coming for you. Doctor, what is it? What's wrong? Tell me. Why is it smiling? Displacing someone back in time creates time energy, and that is what the angels feed on. What the hell are you doing? Any ideas? Run. Run. But also, don't look as you're running, because you can't. You're not yeah. supposed to blink or anything. The Angels Take don't. Manhattan. It was first broadcast back on the 29th of September, 2012. It was part of Series Seven, the halfway <laughs> point, the mid-series finale, and it was written by the Mothbag, directed by Nick Huron stars the normal crew at that time, Matt Smith, Karen Gill and Arthur Darville, uh, half a dozen supporting cast members. And the, uh, they are on a trip to New York. Obviously it all goes horribly wrong <laughs> as they've sent Rory off to get coffee. You never do that. No, in New York, sent. you never go for coffee solo. You always <laughs> take someone with you, but yeah, he goes off to get coffee, gets distracted by stuff. I say stuff. Weeping Angels, of course, they're back in the story. That's where he finds... uh, He he gets sent back to the 30s, essentially, by the Weeping Angels. And then later on, that's that's where he meets his daughter of the time, I suppose, River. She puts the book together that the Doctor ends up reading and blah, blah, blah. That helps them to find where Rory is. It's kind of cool, and it also helps the Doctor much later on to have a nice little goodbye message from from amy but anyway the uh 
essentially New York is the hunting ground for the weeping angels because there's billions of statues everywhere, including the Statue of Liberty. They're all angels. They're all, they're all up to no good. And, um, yeah, the, uh, it's essentially a goodbye story for the ponds while river is doing her thing. It's like a farewell story. Anyway, what did you think to the angles? Take Manhattan, as some people type it. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't expecting too much of this. I don't remember it leaving a massive impact on me at the time. I, 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 th- I think I thought it was a fairly good send-off of the ponds, but I don't, didn't re- really remember an awful lot from it. I, I see, In my memory, it was quite a messy episode. I don't think I really got it on a first watch. Um, but watching this again last night, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, there's a lot of plot holes in it. <laughs> Heck of a lot. <laughs> but um, but it didn't bother me, actually. I found myself getting quite sort of um, wrapped up in what was going on. And um, and I, it's weird. I buy into the Ponds relationship more now, re-watching the episodes, than I did at the time. I don't know why that is. I actually really like the Ponds. I mean, I liked them at the time, but I really like them now. Like... I think because at the time I didn't like all the sort of flirty stuff between Amy and the doctor. And I didn't like the way she treated Rory at times. Then you had that weird bit in the middle where did they get divorced or they split up or something? So there was all that stuff. But when you rewatch it, there is a bit of an arc there where they actually sort of realize that they do love each other. And I I do like that. And I found the bit on the rooftop um, very emotional. Actually, I I think it got more to me rewatching this yesterday. I found it really moving. Um, whereas I don't remember feeling like that. So I remember thinking, oh, that's a nice, you know, scene. And, but it's, uh, yeah, maybe I'm just getting old, but it really, um, hit the pulled on the heartstrings, um, watching this yesterday. I thought it was very good, but yeah, there's a, there's a million plot holes in it. Um, it's not the best story. The angels kind of start off scary, but then come a bit sort of, they just sort of in the background for a lot of it. So they're not really utilized that well, but, um, I did enjoy it. I just found it a very watchable episode, very, beautifully filmed you know like direction was lovely and um the music i think really helps murray's score in this really brings the episode alive but mostly the cast i think is what it is it just the cast seemed really firing on all cylinders especially matt as usual and i even like uh, river song in this i know a lot of people say she's annoying which yes she can be written to be annoying but i actually quite liked her in this um there's the stuff with her arm <laughs> which uh, we will go into later because there's a bit of a regeneration thing going on there, which we need to discuss. Uh, but um, no, overall, I, I enjoyed this. It's not the best episode. It's a lot of plot holes, but it looked great. The cast were great. And I kind of like the fact that Moth does something different with the send off. Like it doesn't really work because he's saying the doctor can't visit them and, there's a million ways around that, I'm sure. So that's a bit of a plot hole. But I like the fact he tried something different. He didn't just kill them off. And they didn't just say, oh, I've had enough, I'm off and leave. He, he sort of found something, a different way for the companions to exit, which was, in a way, heartbreaking. If you don't think too much about it, if you don't sort of think around the plot holes, it's a really heartbreaking way for the Doctor to lose Amy and Rory. So, yeah, not perfect, but I liked it. Over to you, Hmm. big man. What do you reckon? Yeah. I've got to say that the last 10 minutes, I think, the last 10 minutes was was really good. Really, really good. 
the rest of it, dude. I've got to say, I've got to say, I was just bored out of my mind. Really bored. Okay. Really mm. bored, which is surprising because I was never, I was never a huge fan of the story anyway. The multiple times that I've watched it before, but the more, the more I watch it, the more bored I get, and uh, it's really surprising because the Weeping Angels are such an awesome, like they're such a good monster within Doctor Who. But for, I can't help feeling in this one though. I don't know why, but I just feel they, they're just not effective in this, which is weird because they're used in the same way as the previous stories we've seen them. But I think in those other stories, there was more of a build up. There was more suspense to the, mm. to actually seeing the weeping angels and them do their thing. There was always that element of, you you were told what they could do and their dangers and how frightening they were, but it wasn't until episodes. It wasn't until later on in those episodes that the angels actually started to become a threat and really scary. Uh, previous to that that point in that in those other stories, the other two, they were just you would see them in the background, and then you and then you'd be like, will they? Won't they? Whereas in this story, right from the off you see their faces change and move around. and So by the time I got to the end of the story, it was just, um, I was just, they, they've become, throughout the story, they became too commonplace. So Ooh. it got to the point where they just weren't scary anymore. And the whole Statue of Liberty thing is just, I can't, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's I a know. great idea. It really is. It's a, it's a great idea. But the fact that, there's no panic in New York because the Statue of Liberty has moved from its base and is now walked across the city. Even if it happens in a split second, you would assume that New York City would be in a complete tiz and, and crazy because it's just not there anymore. But now it's like at this other point in the city and it's by this building. So, But everything's just calm. You know, there's no, you know, there's nothing. I, I don't know. It's just... I, I I've got to laugh because I I think when Moffat come up with that I bet he thought that was a superb idea and um, he's probably really pleased with himself um, and it, I think it is a nice idea it just doesn't it's like a lot of this episode it doesn't um, bear sort of scrutiny if you like um, but I can imagine him writing it and getting it filmed and then someone phoning him saying Stephen um the Statue of Liberty is not actually made of uh, stone it's um <laughs> it's not it's not actually a, a statue um. But uh, no, I mean, it's a nice idea, but it, like a lot of this episode, it just doesn't um, bear, it, you just don't think about it too much. But I know what you mean. It's, it's ridiculous. It is. And, yeah. and it doesn't really work, but I, I, I find it a fun idea. It I'm is gonna fun. Gi- I'm going yeah. gi- to give the mothball a, a, um, a free pass on this one. I'll, I'll do it. You don't have to. But I'm, I'm going to give him a, a pass to this because I, I find it a fun idea, <clears throat> even though it's ludicrous. Yeah, that is ludicrous. And uh, it, there are there are times and bloody hell mate across so many stories of doctor who there are times where you have to you have to just go with it you can't get hung up on the smaller details otherwise oh, yeah. you'll never enjoy anything so i i get that and i'm not you know but this for me it's just it's a real standout ridiculous thing that is a lovely idea and it does you know it just doesn't seem to um it just doesn't seem to to work as well as it should do because 
when they're inside the building, they can hear this massive thumping, crashing sound. But that doesn't quite make sense because they're inside the building, so nobody can see the statue, the Statue of Liberty. So it would have just zapped like from where it was on its base right to the edge of the building in one thing because no one's looking at it. But it seems to sort of plod along and take – it's almost like the Jurassic Park films when the T-Rex is coming up and you hear these big thuds and stuff and it's like, wow, something's coming. But that doesn't seem to obey the rules of how the weeping angels move because – do you know what I mean? They can't see it. So it would have just zapped immediately to their location. There wouldn't have been any of this. So I'm contradicting myself. Sometimes no, you have no, to. I, I get, I get you know, why you are though. Yeah, yeah. you have to, you have to forget I, I the, like Yeah, you have to forget the, the, the in-depth detail sometimes of how things work in Doctor Who. But for me, it's just a big one. But so yeah, overall, dude, this is the least favourite of my, of the the Weeping Angels stories that we've had, mm-hmm. and I'm just, just desperately bored, mate. As we're going through the story, there isn't any. There isn't any. There's no point in the story where I'm like, oh no, don't go in that room or well, not, not even the bit with Rory in the with the cherubs. No, like in no. the matches. I thought that was great. No, I mean bit. that's a, that's that was well done, definitely, that that bit. But by that point, we'd already seen half a dozen angels doing their thing and so by the time you get to that scene with Rory, you already expect and know what's gonna happen. There's mm. no build up to that really scary scene with Rory. So yeah, by the time we get to that point, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, the matches are going to go out, obviously, and then they're going to move when the matches are not lit. How does it? Yeah, that other, that little baby one blows, blows out the it match. Out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I got to agree with you about the angels. I it's weird because I think the angels are difficult to film and make scary because they are a static thing, and it's hard to make a static thing scary. So they put that sort of jumpy sound effect on, <clears throat> but it doesn't seem to work in this story like it did in Blink. Like in Blink, you sort of they jump forward and you get that sound effect, and it seems more scary. I don't know why because I think the direction's great in this, but the the angels I, I, in Flesh and Stone, for example, they tried something different, didn't didn't they? Do you remember they they yeah. made the actors slightly mm-hmm. move? So I think I'm right in saying that's the only story where we've seen the angels moving. I personally liked that, but a lot of people didn't. A lot of people said, no, we shouldn't see the move. It's better if they're just a statue and they jump. But I personally liked because it was really subtle. You just saw the head slowly move and then, you know, I liked it. But they don't do it again. And I think perhaps they felt like it was a mistake to show them move. But then if you don't do that, they are just a static prop that you're moving in. And the only time I do find the angel scary in the story is the very beginning when the chaps, uh, the reporters in the lift and it sort of jumps forward in the lift or whatever. I thought, Oh yeah, that's good. But then the rest of the story, I will agree with you, even though I enjoyed it, the angels aren't scary at all. And I just think it's down to the fact that, um, like you said, there's almost too many of them. So it becomes a bit silly that you can just run away from it when there's so many angels everywhere. Like how are they not pouncing on people and how are they even, getting where they are and stuff like that. So yeah, they definitely do lose their threat in this story compared to blink and even flesh and stone, I think because of that. But the other bit that's scary with the angels is I think with a bit with river, I, I really like the bit where the guy turns the light off and it grabs river's arm in that split second. Oh, that she's trapped. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. She's trapped in that thing. And I think that's the best way to make the angel scary is to do stuff like that. You can't 
just keep turning off the lights and bringing them closer to the camera and because that's only worked so many times and we've seen it too much at this point Mm -hmm. so you've got to do something different with them so and i think maybe that's what it is they they've run out of things to do other than have the angel keep getting closer to the person like what else can you do to make them scary so yeah, was... I do agree with you that on the whole, they're not particularly well utilized in this story. But I do like the bit of River's arm that does because it's just horrible to think of her trapped. The only way she can get out of it is to break her wrist. That's that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she does it. <laughs> yeah, I read you. It's um, but yeah, there was other things as well. I won't go into anything else with these angels. But the only other thing that kind of got got me as well was the whole the whole point of well, the, the resolution, I guess, to how they escape at the end of Blink was when the TARDIS dematerializes, the they angels are stuck where they are because they're all looking at each other. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, the I'd rules that. of like, yeah. you know. So yeah. there are numerous scenes throughout this story. As an example, when they're in the hotel and yeah. that guy's there at the beginning or a bit later when Raw is there, you see weeping angels at either side of them in the hallway and there's nowhere else there for there to go. So when they do the off and they run away into the lift, those two weeping angels are clearly looking at each other because they're at other ends of the hallway, but yet the rules suddenly don't apply. Like they can, even when they're being observed by one another, like they were at the end of blink, that doesn't matter anymore. Like in this story, they can just still, you know, I, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Again, there's a uh, there is a million plot holes in this, and that's a that's another one to add to the list, which I hadn't even thought about. I think that is the thing. It does feel like there's a bit too many of them. It's like it seems like everywhere there's weeping angels. Um, did just that just before we move away from the angels. So, I am curious. Do you like the bit in Flesh of Stone where we see the angel move? I think it's only a couple of times we see it, and maybe once or twice. But did do you think it was better when we saw? just a little bit of movement from the, like the head turn or whatever, or do you, do you prefer it like when they are just a static hmm. threat? I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it is quite cool don't to do see it them. Again. Yeah. yeah. I think it is quite cool. Cause they did, um, it almost gives you like a glimpse, like a peek behind the curtain. Yes. Like you're yeah. not supposed to see them move in any way, but when you do see those, it's only a small movement, is it? It's only a little thing. I think it's just a head slightly turns to the left or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is a little like, oh, oh, we're seeing something that the characters are not seeing. It's like a little thing. It doesn't, it, nothing in terms of like breaking the fourth wall or anything. It's not meant to do that, but it's just a cool little, ah, as the viewer, you know, we're going to give you a little, tiny little, tiny little nugget of, so I do like that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. But they don't do it again. I, I just wonder mm. why they decided to <clears throat> backtrack and think, no, no, that was a mistake. We'll, we won't do that again. Because a lot of the angels are actors as well, which is incredible. Like they look like props. They look like stone statues. And um, some of them, one or two are actual people inside a suit painted gray. And uh, that's quite incredible. I mean, that's some incredible makeup going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the case in this story, but certainly in flesh and stone when they're moving, you've actually got people inside the suits and yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I think you just add something to it. Um, yeah. just want to quickly talk about that bit with river while we're, while we're on the subject, you know, with the bit where it grabs her heart arm and she does actually break her wrist to get out of it, which is a horrible thing to think about. But then there's that scene, which has now become a bit more, uh, <laughs> ironic, I suppose, because the doctor 
mends River's wrist using some regeneration energy, and she goes ballistic. She's like, don't waste your regeneration energy. What do you think you're doing? And he's like, oh, it's fine. And, of course, now, with the, the whole time the child and endless regenerations, whatever, that kind of doesn't have the same impact. But at the time, I thought that was a really cool moment. I was like, oh, my God, the doctor's just given away some of his precious regeneration energy. But now it's not precious anymore, is it? Yeah, it has become a bit of a... Or is it? I mean, people are probably screaming at me saying, no, you've got it all wrong. It's still precious. I don't know. But what do you think to that moment anyway, when he's, when he's giving away some of his regeneration energy to save, to mend River's wrist? We've never seen the doctor do anything like that before. He's never, he didn't sort of go back to Adric and say, don't worry about this. I've got this. I'm going to bring Adric back to life. It, well, probably because Adric was scattered across the universe in bits, <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, Mm. It depends on how far you want to dive down the rabbit hole with this one, I think, because there's also another thing to consider. At this point, we have to remember that the Doctor's up to his last regeneration. If you don't take into account the timeless child thing, if you don't take that into account, then at this point, the Doctor was up to his last last, uh, thing. So would he have enough surplus regeneration to do this anyway? That's unclear. But you obviously did. But yeah, so the regeneration energy thing, while it used to be a like, oh my God, this is like uber important and sacred, I suppose. As we get further on into the newer era of Doctor Who, it just seems to be just tossed around like sweets at Halloween. Yeah. You know, anyone can have some. Have a bit of regeneration. Yeah. Hey, let me top up your regeneration glass there. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, because River yeah. did the same thing as well. She well, she used all of her regeneration energy, didn't she, to save the Doctor in Let's Kill Hitler. So that, when she did oh, that, yeah. when oh, she did God, that, yeah, that depleted all of her regeneration energy. So she doesn't have any left, and now the Doctor's kind of repaying <laughs> a favour, I guess. But yeah, you can, go, you can go down the rabbit hole. And then when you factor in the timeless child thing, which makes this irrelevant anyway, mm. um, how far do you want to go down all of it? I don't know. But it was a nice well, scene, though. It was a good scene. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good scene. But what do you think of River in it? A lot of people say she's annoying. She can be written as annoying. I didn't think she was too bad in this. I thought there was a couple of um, witty uh, witty dialogue from her. I think Moffat is good at the at the sharp dialogue. I've got to say that. I mean, I, he does for me Moffat's humour more often than not does land correctly. And uh, there's some really sharp dialogue in this episode. I thought so. River comes out with a couple of good good one-liners and stuff. Um, like I just, just little things, you know, like when the doctor shows the book and she's like, Oh, I don't like the cover. And, and you know, I just thought, I thought river was quite good in this story. And I, I like the fact she's there with the doctor at the end when he loses Amy and Rory. I thought that was good. I think, I think river should be there to be with the doctor at that point, because the good thing with river, even though she can be annoying is she is quite straight talking. And that's what the doctor needs at that point. She's like, stop, Stop moping around. Come on. And she's <laughs> flying the TARDIS because we know that River can fly the TARDIS. And she's she's looking after the Doctor, but she's not letting him sit there and wallow and be full of self-pity and stuff. She's telling him to get on with it. And I th- so I think I think River is um, – I think it's right that River's in this story. I think she should be in the story. I think she's good in it. I think so as well, mate. I think she – there were two – I didn't mind River in this, to be honest with you. I prefer no. her when she's – 
there are some stories where the flirting gets a little bit, mm. you know, close to the line. Yeah. Those ones I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, but there were, I think that was important for her to be in this story because she is the, the Pond's daughter. So it's kind of right that she's there as they leave. Yeah. And also it plays into this, this thing that we've seen a few times throughout who, where it's clear that the doctor shouldn't travel by himself. He shouldn't be alone. Mm. and Amy says that, doesn't she? She said, don't travel, you know. Yeah. She actually says that, don't travel alone, and River says it as well. So I think when the Doctor is really feeling it at the end, he's really down, I think River provides a bit of needed strength and support because when that happens at the end and we cut to the Doctor and River in the TARDIS, like you said, she's operating all the controls and doing her thing, he's just sat there looking very, very depressed. He's destroyed, yeah. Whereas River, even though she's just lost her parents, she's got a brave face on and she's just carrying on as you need to do. So I think that's also needed. So yeah, I agree, dude. I think she was needed in this story. And mm. I also don't mind her. I think she's she she has a good she brings a good level of weight to the to the scenes that she's in with the doctor, I think is the best way to put it. She's um she's not just there because She's there for the sake of it. Let's just put another character in. Let's just plop her in. Yeah. She's actually um, she's actually there to serve a purpose, which is to remind the Doctor that, first of all, you don't mess around with your regeneration energy. That's a no-no. That's a slap around the face. You don't do that. And then second of all, it's a, look, don't worry. You know, everything's going to be cool. But just, and she's... Yeah. And she's, um, you know, she is the daughter of the Ponds as well. So as it is their last episode, I think it's right that she she is there. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the send-off, though, for the Ponds? Because as I, I said earlier, I think I like the fact that Moff tries to do something different. And it's, it is unusual that they're, that they're trapped in this supposedly um, part of New York that the Doctor cannot visit or whatever. It, 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 it doesn't really work, but it's, it's an interesting idea. That, that I think doesn't really have the payoff, but if you think about it too much, but I like the fact that Moff tried something a bit different, but what, what do you think? To, to, as it's the pond sort of goodbye app. Yeah. For a, as an, as an exit episode, a goodbye to the companions, I think it's probably, it was fairly well done. My only, <laughs> I'm sorry to be a negative ninny, I really am. But my only problem with it is that I was just bored waiting for it to happen. Mm, because yeah. because they got into it so early on in the story. Like, it it became less about a cool, frightening, weeping angel story and more about, right, when are the ponds actually going to go? So, because Rory went off to get coffee within the first, what, five minutes of the story, and then he encounters the angel and all the rest of it, then it becomes part rescue story for Rory, part they're always going to chase him. They're always going to find him. Amy's obviously not going to leave him that, you know, that that's one thing that Moffat did really well was really cement them to, which is a, a far throw from all of those early episodes where we felt like Amy just didn't really give a crap about Rory at times. And yeah. She yeah. was always after the doctor and flirting with him and Rory was sidelined when the doctor's around. So it's a, we've come a long way. So that was cool that he wrote them to be just, it doesn't matter if you're going to go, I'm going to jump with you. 
so that was really nice to see from that perspective. But it just happened. It just was such a long build up throughout the story. And the last 10 minutes are really nice. It's quite touching and it's not a bad send off, but yeah, it was just that right. Okay. We've spent 40 minutes getting to this point. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it would have been cool to have it more about saving a stranger from the weeping angels. See, like either the, the detective guy at the beginning or the, 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 um, the art collector millionaire guy who's got a vested interest, it seems in angels and stuff like that. Mm. It would have been cool to do, uh, like the, the angels are attacking Manhattan and they've gone after this guy, let's save him. And then in the last act of the story, oh no, the ponds are now in danger. They're going to go. That would have been better for me, but you know, I, I do see the, especially big fans of the ponds. I can imagine they both love and are really upset <laughs> with this one. No, I think I think it's a good point. I because I the detective guy at the start. I mean, there isn't really any point to his character. We don't see him again. I in my memory, I thought he was part of the story. I'd forgotten he was only in the beginning, and um, not really sure what that was for. Really, apart from just to pad out the episode. But it's weird because the part other parts of it feel quite rushed. I mean, I know you said there was bored. You were bored, but it does feel like we're like you said. There's not a lot going on we are really just racing towards the exit of the ponds, I suppose, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's much time in the, in the story to sort of breathe. If you like it, it's just literally rushing towards that last 10 minutes. Um, but things I do like about it uh, as an exit story for the companions is, uh, like you said, I think over the course of the ponds era, we've got to see them grow closer. Um, that Dalek story, there's a scene in that. I remember when, you know, Amy finally lets Rory know how much he means to her. Okay, what's that? Asylum of the Daleks, isn't it? That's it. Yep. So I think from that point onwards, we're seeing that, you know, their relationship has grown and like any relationship, they've gone through good times and bads. And I think, I do feel like they've become very close as a couple in the story. So that makes it more heartbreaking that they're, that they're going to stick together no matter what that means. So they're prepared to do anything to be together. So I like that. And I also liked the fact that it did bring Amy's story full circle. So I'd completely forgotten that the, we get to see young Amelia Pond at the end. And I thought I found that last couple of minutes really, really touching. So this is the sort of thing I like about them off is so he's got this whole thing in the story about uh, the Melody Pond book, which is he can't skip forward because as he's reading it, it's making things um, come into reality so you know it's a typical Moffat strange idea but I like it and of course the doctor rips out the last page and you know that's going to have some significance so he remembers as he's in the TARDIS to read the last page and I thought that was beautiful absolutely beautiful so he reads the last page it's Amy telling him uh, not to what does she say not to not to be alone. Not I think. to be alone. Yeah. Not to travel alone, and and she tells him how much that uh, he means to them. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Loved all that. And then we get the shot of young Amelia Pond in the garden, which is where uh, Matt's doctor first meets her. So I thought the way it brings the Pond story full circle was done really well. I, I loved all that. It re- found it really emotional, and I thought it was beautiful. But as I said, you if you then if you leave it at that, brilliant. But then if you start thinking about, well, can't the ponds just get on a train 
and move to a different part of the country so the doctor could go back and visit them. You know, if you then start sort of looking into it too much, it it does fall apart a little bit. But um, but yeah, if you just take it on surface value, I, I thought it was a lovely, lovely way to bring the Pond story full circle. Mm. So I think that's why I liked it. But it definitely pulled on the heartstrings. I mean, I'll tell you what I find with this era of Doctor Who compared to sort of like the, the 30th Doctor era. It's almost the opposite thing, right? So... For me, what I liked about this story was not the actual story itself, but the cast. So the cast really bring this alive, and I care about them. So even when stuff doesn't make sense, like the sort of Pond's exit and the Doctor not being able to go back and save them, it doesn't bother me too much, because I just thought the whole the cast just worked so well together that I care about what's going on, even if they're, even if it's not perfect. Whereas in the modern era... I quite like some of the stories, but I don't feel any sort of warmth or connection, particularly to the Doctor or the companion. So it's a real, it's almost like the opposite thing. So, so for example, with Eames of the Punjab, I like the story, but the cast sort of don't, they're a bit significant, insignificant in it. Whereas in the Moffat era, it's quite often the opposite. You can get a pretty sort of average story like this, but I've, I'm invested in it because of the cast and, and the fact I care about the characters so much. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I think that was the, for me, that was one of the best things about the RTD era is that the characters were so strong, but more so the way RTD can write character stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. So even some of the mediocre stories are still good because of the cast and the way the characters have been written and their interactions and so on. The Moff has also got that. I don't think he's quite as strong as Russell as as the character stuff, but he's not far off. So you're right. Those, those two eras were really the, the casting and the characters were, were bang on most of the time. Whereas when we get, yeah, when we get into Capaldi's stuff, even though, even though the moth is still doing his thing pretty decently to a degree, it just felt like they had gone off the boil a little bit mm. with these things because Depending on how you view the Capaldi era, um, yeah, I think I mentioned it a while ago. I've, I've his his era is the era that I watched the least out of all of the new Who stuff, and that's because I just can't get emotionally invested or attached to to Capaldi at times. But certainly, some of the supporting cast members and so on, it feels like a yeah. I don't want to get into all that, but you're absolutely right with the Moth stuff. Much like Russell, he's very, very good most of the time at uh, the casting and the character stuff. And I think for this one, if it wasn't the if it wasn't for the fact that if it was an exit episode for the Pons, then the score would be very low <laughs> for me. I'm talking like really low. But the fact that the Pons, both Arthur Darville and and and, uh, and Karen Gillan, are very good in it. And they, they were good in it for a while up to this point. Uh, that brings a score up. But, dude, if they weren't in it, then this would be, like, a really bad, a really bad episode. And like I said, the last 10 minutes are really good. Yeah. You know, it's emotional and it's – and it is sad. It's always sad to see companions go most of the time. So it's always <laughs> it's always sad. But, yeah. And the bit of Matt running the, across the bridge in New yeah. York and putting on the glass – I don't know. It just, it all works for me. I just thought, you know, it's, it's really nice to see them in New York as well. Proper location. Yeah. Cause, um, 
I forget, I think, is it the Dalek story where they were supposed to be in New York, but I think they just super <laughs> superimposed the TARDIS in front of the Statue of Liberty and then yeah, the rest right. of it's yep. Cardiff. But we're properly in New York this time. We, we can, you know, we've got some great shots of, of New York itself. Well, and that, that, we're only in that, Central Park. Oh, Central Park, yeah. Yeah, the rest of New York is actually Wales. Oh, is it? Yeah. So it's just, oh, yeah, actually, yeah. I, yeah. I know what you're saying, yeah, yeah. But we do get that nice shots of Central Park then. Yeah, We've yeah. been like on the bridge and Matt putting on the glasses at the end that Amy was wearing, I thought was nice. And yeah. but, but the thing is, when I talk about Moffat's um, sharp dialogue, I mean, stuff like that, when the doctor's like, oh, those glasses um, make your eyes look all lighty. And she's like, what? And, she does, and he's like, oh, no, they are anyway. It's, moments like that, I just think are fun. And the Moffat throws in loads of little bits um, like that every episode so even if it's not a good episode you always get little funny moments mm -hmm. like that and um yeah but i just love that ending when he put her glasses on and yeah they really suit matt as well yeah, they <laughs> he do, looks great they? in those yeah. glasses yeah i think they were i think they were supplied for matt by the costume department to fit his head because the whole time that amy's wearing them every few seconds she's having to push them back up her face oh up yeah her nose. so i think yeah. they're a bit big for her but they definitely suit matt though he looks great in those those glasses but that scene as well uh no i'm not going to go into it no 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 No, go on go on well what are you gonna say after that initial bit where they were having they were just chilling out in central park reading and rory goes off how many days had gone past after that point it must be 24 hours later or at oh, least a couple I, I of days know. yeah I, I thought that as well, I legs said, well what? back and the, the page is still yeah, there. Yeah, the hamper's still there. Nothing's hamper's moved. Still there, this yeah. is the middle of New York, right? Central Park. <laughs> that would have been gone within second. Like after they had left, <laughs> that would have been gone within seconds. So, yeah. I, but then I again, did think know. the same, actually. It's weird. I didn't, don't remember <laughs> thinking that at the time, but I did think exactly the same thing. Like, what? It's it, Again, it's one of those things. It's ridiculous, but I forgive <laughs> it because it looks so good on screen. Like Matt, just Matt running across that beautiful bridge. Mm -hmm. It just looks so good. I'll I'll totally forgive it. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. My only other, before I get on to some positive stuff, my only other negative thing as well, in regard to the ponds and their exit story and so on, there there is one part of me that thinks that this was a bit wet, a little bit. If you think back to the majority of the time that Amy was the companion. Yeah. She was always so feisty and strong and always such a, such a fighter and although Rory, Rory although Rory was was conveniently a lot of the time the opposite to that he was a bit more of a oh no we shouldn't be doing this we shouldn't be doing it and you know she was always dragging him along and all the rest of it I felt like their exit was a little bit like I'd have liked to have seen them gone down swinging gone down you know fighting you know and Amy properly just giving it, you know, a real strong going down fighting sort of thing. But the way that it ends, it's a little bit like Raw is like, well, I need to save everyone. So I'm off. I'm going to jump off. And she's, and normally you'd expect Amy to be like, Rory, get back here right now. That's not happening sort of thing. You know, we're going to fight this and we're going to do it. But she's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't agree, but well, all right, yeah, let's get, let's go then. Let's let's jump together, and I can see the 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 sacrifice is meant to be for the bigger picture and everything. I totally get that, but just their characters, it just seems like I don't know. Like I, I think that's just me. I think, but so many people I like this story. I do get what you mean. No, I do get what you mean because they they normally would be going down in a blaze of glory. In this, it does feel like they're defeated a bit. 
Yeah. So I do know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. But because so many people like it, I think I'm sure it's just, I'm sure it's just me. It's one of those stories where the rest of who fandom is clicking and it's like, this is amazing. And it's, and I'm like, oh, I, I can't see it. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was a good exit, but I, I can get what you mean. I mean, there is a million ways they could have left, but yeah. I, I thought it was all right. One, one thing that, um, really infuriated me <laughs> was that, so I was really looking forward to watching. I remember they did a storyboard for a scene that they <clears throat> didn't have time to film, uh, or that the Chibnall wrote after the episode that, never got filmed and it was um of rora's dad do you and i think oh, i i can't remember it but i think amy's son uh, amy roy's son turns up to see him on the doorstep oh, so yeah. it was called ps yeah yeah and um chibnall wrote it for a, for a dvd extra apparently and i thought yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing that because i remember thinking it was a really beautiful you know i remember thinking it's such a shame that they didn't actually film that because it the, the episode really needed it. It was a lovely way to finish the episode. And so I'm going through the DVD extras after watching the episode thinking, where is this blimmin' PS short? You know, because they did storyboards for it, didn't they? They didn't film it, but they did storyboards. And I think Arthur might have done the dialogue. I can't quite remember. It's not on the blimmin' DVD, dude. It's not It's not on any DVD. And I'm like, so I Googled it because I was getting really frustrated thinking, I've got the whole set here. It's got to be on one of these discs. There's no way they'd leave that off because it was quite a big deal at the time. Everyone's like, oh, have you seen the the extra scene that they didn't film? Oh, it's lovely. And, you know, uh, Brian's back as the dad. And it's, oh, it's such a nice scene. Yeah, not on the DVD. And uh, so I I Googled it. For whatever reason... Maybe Chibnall wouldn't let him have it. Um, it's not on the DVD, and you can find it online. I think it's on YouTube. Um, but how how is that not on the set? <laughs> yeah, I, I I I haven't seen it. I've not seeked it out on YouTube or anything. Well, but, I meant yeah. to seek it out before we recorded because I, obviously I was going to watch it on the DVD and it wasn't on there. So I thought I'll I'll find it on YouTube. It is on YouTube. Mm. Um, I just haven't had chance to to watch it i will watch it later but i remember it being a really nice little scene and um wishing that they'd actually got around to you know recording it because um you know obviously brian is going to wonder where they are isn't he and we never see the doctor go back i don't think and say to him oh by the way brian your kids are you know stuck in 19 whatever so it it was it was a great little scene Mm. um i didn't even realize the chibnall had written it until i googled it yeah, to try and find out cool. so yeah i was trying to find out what it was called because uh, i thought it's got to be on here i was going through everything on the disc i was putting in every disc <laughs> strange that they, they left it off but anyway there it is yeah. but that, that annoyed me i was looking forward to watching that <laughs> <laughs> what did you think to to matt in this one because, I, well, I, because yeah because normally he it, it, and it kind of plays up to this idea doesn't he they've they said it before that the doctor doesn't like goodbyes and doesn't like endings and stuff like that. And yeah. I thought he played that really, really great. Yeah. This whole thing. And especially at the end, you know, for me, the last 10 minutes are gold for this, mm. from all the performances and stuff. But throughout the story, you get the feeling that the doctor kind of knows what's coming. He, 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 he because he's been around the block a few times, he, you get the feeling that he knows how this story is going to end. And he, and especially they, they kind of do it visually, don't they? With, Oh, you can't read the book. You're not supposed to know what's, what's going to happen. 
Mm. And like you said, when he tears the last page out, that's all nice and stuff like that. But the way that Matt plays this one, sometimes they do a really good mix of him doing funny, quirky with the emotional stuff, but it felt like there wasn't enough time to do that because a couple of scenes with river are quite cool, but for the mate, for the most part, he is playing it really. You could tell that Matt Smith, not the doctor was, was upset that this was the last time that they were going to film with, with the ponds and stuff. So I thought he had a really good, it was one of those really good emotional Matt stories where the acting in his face, as well as what he was doing really told a picture. I thought he was really good in this. Yeah, no, I thought Matt was superb in it. Um, there's a good bit when um, he really starts to lose his bleep. when he, he So he says that they can't read forward in the book. You know, spoilers, whatever. But then he says, oh, but we can read chapter titles. That's cool. That's And I thought, oh, that's a nice idea. But then he sees the title of the last chapter, Farewell Amy or whatever, and he really goes mad, doesn't he? Because he's thinking, oh, no, I've read it now, so it's going to happen. And he, he really is angry. And River's like quite shocked and she? she's like calm down calm down i thought you know matt matt is so good at showing humor uh emotion rage he's so good at all those different things he totally sells it um to me that's why i love him so much as the doctor um so yeah i mean you know from the get-go this is going to be an emotional episode for him uh and he totally pulls it off you know he's, he he's brilliant yeah. he's absolutely brilliant in it yeah he's, he's just He's just so on fire all the time, Matt. Yeah, yeah. He's brilliant. No, I agree. No, he's he's brilliant in this, actually, in, in most of them. And he really is climbing up the ladder quick. You know, every time we review a Matt Smith story, I just fall in love with his doctor a little bit oh, more. Oh, I love him. Every time. I yeah. Thought, we were always fans anyway, but just the more that we watch and the more that you appreciate just how good he was as the doctor is is great, really. And what did you think to some other cast members then? So how, what did you think to Mike McShane then as Grail? Oh, I was really <laughs> pleased to see Mike McShane uh, in this because I used to love him in um, Whose Lines Anyway. And uh, I recognised him straight away. I was like, hey, it's Mike McShane. <laughs> so yeah, I thought, uh, good casting. I thought Mike um, played Grail quite well. He's, you know, um, yeah, it was just nice to see him in Doctor Who, Mike McShane. Yeah. yeah. yeah I did remember- you used to... You remember him from that? From who's like that? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. also, he's he's done a. He went for a phase of doing like really big Hollywood type films, didn't he? He was in Robin Hood, mm. Prince of Thieves, and then Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He's voiced something in a bug, a Bug's Life, and uh, yeah. But no, he's he did something called Thunder Pig. I don't know what I don't, Thunder Pig. don't know what that was. Oh, I like the title. Yeah, I'm not sure, but no, he was. Uh, yeah, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, I liked, I liked him in this. Yeah. And then what about the the detective guy at the beginning? Not a huge part, but... No, but he was good, wasn't he? I mean, that's what I mean. I, it, in my mind, I thought he was in it a lot more. <laughs> so, um, no, I thought he was decent. I don't know what the actor's name was. No idea, but um, yeah, he was good. Yeah, it's uh, a Detective Sam Garner. It was played by... Uh, Played by uh, Rob David, and um, like you, I'm struggling to I, I, to figure out the point of that scene and that character. But I think I think it was probably twofold, probably just to set up the story as a whole. Like, oh my god, the angels are back! Yeah, and, I know, think so. And yeah. they're bad, but maybe it was also a bit of foreshadowing as well 
where almost exactly the same thing happens to Rory as it does for this guy. Same hotel, even the same pyjamas at the end in the bed. I did think that because I, <laughs> I was thinking, what's going on? Yeah. So I think that scene was meant to set it up so that as you were watching through the story, you were like, oh my God, Rory, no, this happened to the other guy. Yeah. This happened to that guy at the beginning sort of thing. It was a good pre-title sequence as well, wasn't it? Because I did think that. I thought, blimey, we're nearly four minutes in mm. and we haven't even had the titles yet. Um, but it was a good setup, I thought. As I said, it's probably the the scariest bit with the angels um, mm. after that. Yeah. But it's a good, good pre-title sequence, I thought, with him. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and there aren't many other... No, it's not really any characters, else, really. Just some, Ooh. you know, people knocking about in the background. Um, okay, so the only other thing I've got on my notes is uh, not other than the emotional theme that was running throughout the end, especially when Amy and Rory hop off the building, and then, yeah. and then a little bit later, or shortly after that, when they're in the graveyard and Amy and Rory go, and then the doctor's crying and stuff. Really, really lovely music from Murray. Other than that. I didn't really, there wasn't much else going on, which was surprising because I remember there was lots of music throughout the story, but nothing really, and they certainly didn't reuse um, I Am The Doctor. They didn't do that stuff much anymore. So some really nice emotional stuff for Murray music-wise towards the end. But other than that, I don't really remember much else in terms of themes or story up to that point. No, I I thought Murray's music was nice in it. Um, Yeah. I guess nothing stand out, but it, it definitely, definitely suited the story. Um, I was going to say, I mean, in terms of emotion, I think that, that obviously like you, the last 10 minutes hits home, but there was one scene which I felt was possibly meant to be emotional, but actually made me not laugh, but sort of smile. Um, which is when the doctor goes, I'm sorry, Amy, Rom is, Rom is dead. And I felt like going again. <laughs> like, the problem is it's a bit yeah. like the angels. It didn't have any impact and I feel it's supposed to, but that is one of the sort of flaws of the Moffat era is I think, <laughs> you know, one of the flaws is that Rory has died so many times um, that it just doesn't have any impact at all really in this when the doctor says stuff like that. And it should, <laughs> you know, Rory He's a great character, and I, I really like Rory, and I like Arthur Darville. I think he plays him brilliantly. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it just surprised me when the Doctor said that, that instead of feeling like, oh, no, I was actually smiling, thinking again. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. um, actually, even Rory makes a joke about it himself, doesn't he? When they're on the rooftop, yeah. He's like, oh, I've died a million times, and what's one more t- going to hurt sort of thing, um, which I felt like was the Moffat just acknowledging that, yeah, I have killed him a what, why did the Moffat kill him so many times? Uh, I really well, think there was going to be more to that. Yeah, I think it's meant to play up to... Oh, no, it's not that. I was going to say that's the boy who waited sort of thing. That's the centurion mm. thing, isn't it? But Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's just meant to... I don't know. In in a way, it's cool. But in an, on the other hand, it kind of makes Rory just a bit of an expendable it does, person at yeah. times, you know? It does take away from the impact, doesn't it? A little bit. I will say yeah. that. It does. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. So... Yeah, but no, I haven't really got any, anything else to say, dude. I, yeah. Okay. Scores then, dude. It's you to go first, mate. What you got? Yeah, I get the feeling I'm going to be a bit higher than you on this one. I'm going to give it an eight. An eight? Yeah, cool. I thought it was really... Right. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to give this a six. A six. Okay, yeah. fair enough. I yeah. didn't think it was... Av- I didn't think it was average to give it a five. 
certainly wasn't middle of the road. The first, the last 10 minutes do it for me and bring it up a bit. But I have to admit, I was very bored throughout most of the story. It didn't seem to have enough like weight to it. And the angels just became diluted after a few minutes for me. So, so a six from me. Okie dokie. Right. We had some audio reviews in from our awesome listeners. Let's get to those. The first one, as usual, from Down Under. It's Sammy Satine. G'day, Gary and Adam. Sammy Satine here. So, The Angels Take Manhattan. Too long a title, if you ask me. I went to the Bethesda Fountain in Central Park in September 2014. It's a lovely fountain, well worth a visit when we can travel again. I also have some big chief cherubs and the gravestone that came with the two pack came with one side the inscription for Blink and the other side the one from this story i've even got a few weeping angels statue of liberty figures even if it's far-fetched that it becomes an angel in the first place given how many eyes are on it all the time but enough about me i like the story i just never got as attached to amy rory as other people have i like them they're just not donna or bill vic finished a sort of prequel to this in diary of river song series six carnival of angels i give it seven bethesda fountains out of ten see ya a seven from seven, Sammy. seven from Sammy. Yeah, yeah, nice collection by Sammy. I don't think well. I don't think I could sleep if I had those cherubs or whatever on the, the side. That freaked me out. I had at one point this glow in the dark Statue of Liberty angel. Oh, I've got that somewhere. Yeah, yeah I had it somewhere. I don't know if I've got it anymore, but yeah, quite creepy. Dude, I've just realised we've now reviewed all of series seven. Oh, <gasps> I'm just updating the list. Oh my gosh. Are we done, are we? That means seven? we never have to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> are no, we done, are we? I yeah, I've, I've just updated the list and um, that's weird. I didn't realise it yet. Hey, we haven't done all of Series 7, dude. Oh no, we haven't. Sorry. We've done all the all of the first part. I forgot it split in two. Come oh, on, mate. Moth. This is a two-part oh, series thing. Of course it is. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. This was the moth bag, wasn't it? Some yes. some dude higher up the chain at the BBC talking to his American counterpart. He's like, yeah, we should do that. And the moth's like, no, we shouldn't. Do you want to be fired? We should do that. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's do a two-part a two series. Let's but, split it in two. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think we've actually got to do the one that follows this story. We need to do the snowmen and the bells of St. John. Yes, we did. Yes, yeah. And the name of the doctor. Which we'll I'm thinking we've already done the bits because I watched them over Christmas. Oh, my whole world's gone timey wimey. As if Moffat's yeah. got inside my head and he's messing with me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you very much, Sammy. Sammy, Sammy, let's move on. This is Mr. Joe Turner. Overall, the Angels Take Manhattan is an enjoyable episode, elevated by its ending. The cold open at the start intrigues the viewers immediately, and it's incredibly sinister. The Winter Quarry was a great idea. An old 1930s hotel really compliments the angels, but I wanted to spend more time there than we did. The scene where they see Rory's future self die in the bed is very creepy, and a scene I couldn't watch when I was younger. I love the score together on Not At All, which plays over the top of Rory and Amy jumping off the winter quake to create the paradox. I love how they hug as it ties up their relationship so well, and shows how far they've come since series 5. Finally, why did Rory's curiosity have to get the better of him? He got so close to the TARDIS and decided, actually, that's an interesting gravestone. I'm going to turn around and go and get sucked back in time by an angel. But when Amy goes, it always gets me teary. Matt and Karen's performance is fantastic. Lastly, the shots of Matt retrieving the page, the last page, as he runs across the bridge, 
and the slow-mo of the pigeons flying is beautiful. And the episode overall provides us with a fitting end to Amy's fairy tale arc. So overall, I give this episode an 8.5 out of 10. Thank you. 8.5, dude. Those, those lovely flapping pigeons. Yeah, indeed. And I do agree with you, Joe, as well. It was just utterly at the end where they're just about to leave and go into the TARDIS and more is like, oh, hold on a minute. Oh, I know, yeah. Come and look at this thing. You just thought, oh. No, you're like, no. You just wanted to leap through the TV and kick him in the back <laughs> and kick him all the way to the get TARDIS. Get in there. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I agree, Joe. It's uh, Yeah, okay. An 8.5 from Joe. Moving on, this is TARDISnet66. The Angels Take Manhattan is a story I like a lot. It has a lot of flaws, but it's probably my favourite story of Series 7. A lot of it comes down to the fact that Amy and Rory are my favourite companions of the modern series, and I think their exit is handled very well, with Amy giving up the Doctor, maturing and committing to Rory, moving beyond her childhood to live an adult life. And I think the performances from the main cast are great, with some great emotional moments. I also like the way the story is told in the form of a book. I think it's a very clever storytelling device. I think the Weeping Angels had been overused by this point, to the point where they have no threat or impact in this story. And the flirty and romantic relationship with River is something I've always found uncomfortable, especially with how sexualised it is. And although the exit works, I think the logistics of Amy and Rory's exit has a lot of plot holes. As an exit for Amy and Rory, I think it's very good, but as a story, it's not one I usually go back to. No, not one. Okay. Well, to be fair, I haven't gone back to this mm. in yonks. Um, maybe that's why I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. It's not one I go to either. Really. Yeah, I read you. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Uh, I completely agree, and I think that's a common theme that we've picked up on. And when you talk to other Who fans, it's like, yep, there are some parts of it that are very good, but the plot holes are just immense. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a whole well, podcast it. show on the pot, the plot holes in this story but uh, okay uh, it's interesting that TARDIS doesn't give us a score either he's just like yeah I like this or I didn't like it see you later <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for that TARDIS net I think overall you were kind of middle of the road it sounds like yeah uh, lastly this is Neil Cam what about you so the angels take Manhattan I'm going to cut right to the chase the Departing scene for Amy and Rory was excellent. I thought the display of emotion from all involved in that scene was outstanding. And I think it's a very strong departure for Amy and Rory, who have been a great addition to Doctor Who. It is the end of an era. And I think Matt Smith in particular is on top form here. Um, the 11th Doctor is clearly devastated that they're leaving. Regards the actual story itself, decent enough, not amazing. I think when it comes to Weeping Angels stories, a lot of people just immediately compare it to Blink and they're never going to be as good as that because it was like one of the greatest of all time. Um, but it's solid enough. Um, I like the idea of the Statue of Liberty being a Weeping Angel. What I'll say as well is that Murray Gold is on top form here. A couple of great tracks from this story, um, especially when the companions depart. Really emotional, well-written music, well-composed music, should I say. So all in, I'm going to give this story a 7.5 out of 10, but I feel that the 
uh, departure of the Companions is one of the greatest in the entire series. Cheers. Okie dokie. Nice one, yes. Neil liking the departure for the, for the Ponds. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're right, the, the music at the end. I did really like the, that beautiful. score at the end. Yeah, it's mm. very cool. Uh, yeah, cheers, Neil. And thank you to our other audio reviewers for your, your audio clips. Is uh, Thanks for taking the time to do that. I'm going to get to our socials now quickly. I'm going to rattle through some of these. Before I do, we had a written review in from those dudes over at The Wandering Slothene. And um, <laughs> uh, so there's three of them. So first up, Joe. Great name. Yeah, Joe says, I really dislike this episode. Oh, well, I remember thinking it was good when it was first when I first watched it, but now I don't like it. It's a bit of a mess, and Rory and Amy's goodbyes, quote unquote, are not great in my opinion. The angels don't bring much to the story, and the Statue of Liberty, well, the whole book thing is a nice touch, but gets little screen time due to the many other plots. I do like the scenes when the cherub angels blow the candle out. Uh, River was nice to see again, but overall, I don't think this episode is great. Four out of ten, a four. Samuel says the angels get less scary with each appearance, eventually arriving in New York about as scary as a group of stone unicorns. The idea of the angels using a hotel to farm time energy is very clever, but the story gets far too convoluted. On an emotional level, the exit is very well done, but on a story level, it's quite frankly stupid. That makes absolutely no sense. Overall, mixed feelings, winding up with five cherub angels out of ten. (laughs) <laughs> and lastly Raf says Angels in Manhattan is dreadful oh, <gasps> it butchers two amazing companions and wrecked a great villain yes it had some nice ideas such as the angels using farm to get energy but it also has some stupid ideas such as the Statue of Liberty being an angel which when combined with the whole which holds an image of angel in itself an angel is itself an angel. Yeah, I remember that quote from a previous story. Uh, makes no sense. So you're telling me that every picture and postcard of the Statue of Liberty is a weeping angel? Question mark. Ah. Nice try, but this subpar story is nothing more than a three out of ten. <laughs> Crikey, <laughs> I Moses. Just, I just heard Moffat fall into a bottle of, like, bottles falling from the table. What do you reckon the um, <laughs> Statue of Liberty is actually made of, dude? Because I've got, I've got it on wiki. I think it's made of? made of iron or steel. Yes, it is. It's cast iron and stainless steel with outside is mostly copper. (laughs) So it's not even a statue. (laughs) Well, it is a statue, isn't it? That's a bit of a cheat. It's not made of stone anyway. I'm cheating a little bit because I've been to the top of the Statue of Liberty. So I've had the whole tour and like, you know, all that stuff. But yeah. It's not made of stone. Let's put it that way. No. The more you dig into it, the more you understand and realise just how drunk on red wine Stephen Moffat was when he was writing, writing this one. Oh dear thank you very much guys from the wandering slovene uh podcast very thank you very much uh, over on the socials on twitter christopher d said it's a great episode with a very emotional exit for the ponds also the angels are finally scary again i have no issues with it nice one chris yeah. the doctor who show another good podcast said weirdest resolution ever the TARDIS can't take the Doctor to New York to ever see the ponds again. Apparently, he doesn't want to jump a train, bus, or plane, etc. <laughs> Jeez, he must have secretly hated them. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, oh, yeah. Our writer, Jordan Shortman, says, remember, it's, remember it being good on its original broadcast, but future viewings have failed to impress. So many plot holes, good performances from all around, and the final lines and appearance from young Amy always make me feel sad. Surprisingly, never been a big Amy fan. 
Mm. Yes. Rick Moran from the Doctor Who Appreciation Society says, more mess, just ah, a very generous three out of ten. Oh, due Rick. to the cast doing their best to work with the little material they have. Oh, Rick. Yeah. Dan Johnson says, I feel like the Weeping Angels have their weakest appearance here. They, for a recognizable fair face than for the story. Okay, I get you. Saying that it is a beautifully written episode with a heartbreaking end gives it a seven. Okay. Jessica, mm. awesome underscore Jess says, fantastic episode, except for the fact it makes me cry every time I watch it. Angels were actually scary, except for Lady Liberty, a bit of a stretch. But that's who for you. Nine baby weeping angels out of ten. Cool. Tom at Titan Sci-Fi says, love this ep. Weeping angels, cherub angels, and the Statue of Liberty Angel. The book is their present and future with the sad departure of the ponds. A ten out of ten. A ten. A ten from Tom. Crikey. Zombie who says, the majority of the episode is quite average, sadly. And I'd say it's the weakest angel story. However, the last five minutes are amazing. River Song is quite annoying. I find as well, which doesn't help. I'd say overall, probably a 6.5. <laughs> says the poster's amazing, though. It is, yeah. The, this is when they did the epic film-style posters, isn't it? That's For right. each episode, yeah. yeah. Was it a Lee Binding job, those posters? Um, Can't remember. don't know. Yeah, they are very good, though. Uh, Chippy T says, likes are the book twist, creepy seller cherubs, uh, the Doctor angry at River, dislikes... River, giant Liberty statue, and River. <laughs> Matt oh. shows us once again that a great doctor he is. A solid seven. Did I forget cool. to mention that River is annoying? Oh, <laughs> chippy, chippy. Uh, Mark Atkinson yeah. of previous podcast fame. Yes. Uh, says it's not as, uh, though, by the way, Mark was previously part of the Proctor Who podcast. Which well, is very good. So check that one very out as good well. On it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Mark says it's not as good as it could have been. River is as smug and annoying as ever. I think the show assumes we're in love with Amy as much as Moffat obviously is. In brackets, I personally wasn't. So her leaving isn't as emotional as I think it is. Matt Smith is great as usual, though. Gives it a very precise seven point nine. Out of seven point nine. Yeah, yeah. Mark's always very precise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lost on Gallifrey podcasts. Crikey, we're having all the podcasts this I week. I know, this yeah. is cool. Podcast love. Yeah, Lost on Gallifrey podcast. They're lovely chaps as well over there. Let's go and give that yes. a listen. So it's the end of the ponds and a great era for me. The Weeping Angel battery farm idea is immense. The noir atmosphere, unreal, and Matt River location and music all fab. But a glaring plot hole undermines the lot. A story that succeeds in every area apart from perhaps the one it needed to. Mm. Yes. Uh, Sarah Louise, the running Hoovian. This story intrigued me from the opening scene where the PI meets himself. The angels were initially scary but lost their impact as the episode progressed. The book being integral to the plot was great, and Amy telling River, be a good girl and look after him, made me smile. Seven out of ten. Nice one, Sarah. Yeah. Yes. Hendrix Chaplin says, mediocre at best. Amy and Rory should have left at the end of season six. The foundations are there for a great story, but Moffat really dropped the ball on this one. The last <laughs> five minutes is effective, and I recommend watching Chris Chibnall PS after. Yes, well, that, yeah. If you if can you find, can find it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian Chapman says, The Moff gave us too much timey and not enough whimey in this Series 7 finale. 7, 7A finale. The Cherubs were a nice addition, but the rest was a letdown. Worse than what poor Amy and Rory deserved. Amy and Rory deserve 6.5 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And lastly, from Rotide, 
Concept is good. Execution, however, let down a great deal. The ending with Amy and Rory was a cop-out. Instead of the Doctor having to deal with the loss of his friends who died, he can't just visit their time. This is the Doctor we are talking about, right? And again, a very precise 4.666 out of 10. (laughs) But no, I think a lot of people bring that up. It's like, why can't the Doctor just go back to the time that they were zapped back to and... It it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense, yeah. yeah. I'm sure Moffat could think of a, give anyway. him another bottle, he can come up with a solution. I'm sure he, he's got some answer to that somewhere. He would have. Uh, we had uh, just a few over on Facebook. Uh, Aaron Ball says, a good story, although it could have been longer as it felt so rushed. I love Matt in this, he is fantastic. And their exit is emotional, but just felt too rushed and not enough time to breathe. Charlie Turner says i don't think that this episode is terrible but it is the weakest of the angel stories so far it also has plot holes like how the statue of liberty was able to move without anyone seeing it (laughs) the statue of liberty (laughs) is made out of copper and not stone so it would be impossible yeah we get you charlie yep (laughs) it goes on to say uh, overall minus the plot holes and the stuff i don't like about this episode it gets an average five out of ten Okay. Uh, Chris Vince says it's one for me that could have given Amy and Rory a better goodbye. It's emotional for sure, but I would have preferred them both being able to say goodbye to the doctor. Like Charlie said, the weakest outing for the weeping angels is it could have been different since we had Daleks. To, yeah. Yeah. And lastly, Toby Coleman says I've never had the will to revisit this one. Not because I thought it was bad, but because I was so upset. Ah. The story mm. itself is timey wimey with huge plot holes. At any given point, there is somebody looking at the statue. But that ending has me in bits, with the ending linking back to the 11th hour. A 6.5. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yes. Uh, by the way, guys, in terms of Facebook, I can't. I don't really have the time to read them all out because, because with tweets, you obviously have to keep them relatively short, but people tend to go to town on Facebook and really yeah. go into depth. So if you want to read our other listeners' reviews on stuff, then just follow us on Facebook. You can read all those and and comment there but overall dude middle of the road i would say we had some people giving it some really good scores nines and tens evens but but then we had some low ones like threes and fours and plenty of sixes so i think overall this is a middle of the road ish six ish out of ten i think is the average yeah a lot of people saying it's the weakest angel story as well a lot of people saying that yes rightio next week bud what we got Next week, back to the Sarah Jane adventures with a story called <gasps> Goodbye, Sarah Jane. What? This better not Sarah. be sad. Can't mm. be. We've got another series to go, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah so goodbye, Sarah Jane, next week. Ah. Hopefully that's about? not as sad as it sounds. Hopefully not. Yes. There we go. Okay, dude. On that, I think we'll wrap there for 2.98. All righty. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back and listening to another another episode of the Big Blue Box podcast. It was 298. Thank you so much to all of you for being with us. Those of you that have just jumped on board, it's good to have you here. And those of you that are coming back, for the long-time listeners and Grizzled Ancients, it's, uh, <laughs> it's great to have you all back. Thank you very much for, um, for listening. Uh, next week, as Adam said, we are back to Sarah Jane Adventures and the episode Goodbye, Sarah Jane Smith. We'll find out what that's all about. So please give that a watch. Get your DVDs out. 
and give that a watch because uh, we'll be asking for your thoughts as always and I can't believe we've only got four episodes left of all of Sarah Jane that's crazy oh yeah. no yeah so yeah uh, in the meantime though remember to head over to our website Big Blue Box Podcast at Cut UK you can listen to all of our episodes from there uh, from uh, on there way back from the beginning ones all the way back to 2014 they're all on there plus we have loads of really cool reviews and articles from our writing team go and check that out as well if you've listened to the podcast and you're not a subscriber we hope you do whatever podcast app you listen to your podcast on just give us a sub you won't miss a show when it lands every friday and if you've got a second to leave a review or or a rating for us on whatever app you listen to on that'd be awesome because that helps us out loads and loads so thank you to those that have already left reviews we're on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook links on the website or just do a search for us there we chat doctor who throughout the week so come and get involved over there and we also have a free discord server as well there's a link to that on the website come and hang out with other doctor who fans and chat about lots of different stuff over there on doctor who chat about the new stuff that's coming up modern doctor who classic doctor who merchandise all sorts over there to come and get involved as i mentioned earlier go and do yourself a favor (laughs) go and get yourself a cup of tea get settled in and go and check out my co-host channel over on youtube it is the geeks handbag that's it yeah go and have a look at my vids and uh, i'm also on all the socials ever apart from tiktok not on tiktok yeah that's not i don't even know what it is yeah (laughs) yeah so go and give adam a, a subscribe over on his youtube channel tons of cool videos there loads and loads of really cool reviews unboxings everything and the latest one the autograph collection is awesome so go and check that out and he's on the socials too until next week my name's gary my name's adam and remember